Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. We are now into the second year of the Trump administration, and the last year has been filled with ups and downs, important victories, successful holding campaigns, and painful defeats. We've learned a lot, but there's always more to learn and more to be done. In this now weekly series, we talk with organizers, agitators, and educators, not only about how to resist, but how to build a better world. I am Sarah Jaffe, your host. Hi, um, my name is Molly, and I am an activist here in Charlottesville, Virginia. So I wanted to talk to you today to get a sense of what things have been like in Charlottesville over the last year. I think uh, it was your Twitter, I believe, where you know you said Charlottesville's a place, not an event. And so the first thing I wanted to ask is just, you know, what's it been like on the ground in the, the months and nearly a year since um, – the multiple white supremacist rallies rocked Charlottesville and, and drew everybody's attention. That's, that's, a, that's a loaded question. Uh, I guess <laughs> I know the, sure. the simplest way to answer that is that it's not over. Right. You know, people refer to you know Charlottesville as as an event as that one day, but what's going on here didn't start on August 11th or 12th, and it didn't end there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're still dealing with not just the repercussions of that day, but the you know the systemic conditions that caused it. They picked our town for a reason. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so the the proximate cause for me reaching out was um, that Corey Long, who became very famous very briefly for the photograph of him defending someone against white supremacists armed with all sorts of things. Um, and he was convicted this week. Can you tell us um, of what and uh, why and how what happened this week? Last week. So there were um, two charges uh, for Corey's trial last week. That was on the 8th. Um, there was a misdemeanor assault charge and a disorderly conduct charge. Uh, the assault was null process, which means they did not prosecute it um, uh-huh. at the trial because the complaining witness could not be reached by the Commonwealth. So the prosecutor was having trouble getting in touch with Harold Cruz, who is the uh, North Carolina chairman of the League of the South, which is uh, one of the more established white supremacist hate groups. Yeah. Um, so that, that charge didn't end up getting pursued, but he was convicted of the disorderly conduct for, um, you know, we've all seen that picture of him with the flamethrower. Right. He was defending himself against Richard Preston and some others. Richard Preston is a Klan leader from Maryland who was recently pleaded guilty to a felony for discharging his firearm at Corey at that time. So he was defending himself against someone who had been brandishing a weapon and ended mm-hmm. up firing that weapon at Corey. Yeah. So I'm not sure and this what's is disorderly there. I mean, it is interesting, though, to see the way that these prosecutions have happened. This is not the first person um, who was defending himself or, you know, was just, straight up assaulted by the white supremacists at the rally who then has faced charges. Yes. So DeAndre was prosecuted as well. DeAndre Harris. um, Again, we've all seen those photographs of of DeAndre's uh, gruesome injuries because he was assaulted by by a gang of white supremacists. Um, He was prosecuted as well and acquitted uh, in March. But I don't, I don't know if it's just a matter of people looking at the two of them and one of them is a more worthy victim because DeAndre suffered Injuries? I don't. Uh-huh. I'm not. I'm not sure what the difference was because in both cases, uh, the Commonwealth's attorney, the prosecutor here in Charlottesville, Joe Platania, 
he sort of soft-pedaled both cases. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the DeAndre trial, his closing argument sounded like he was making the defense's closing argument. You know, if you didn't want to prosecute this, you had the option to not do that. And in that right. case, it worked. The judge acquitted him. These were bench trials. They were misdemeanors. Uh, uh-huh. so our district court judge, Judge Downer, was the one making these calls. Uh, so, you know, it worked, it worked in DeAndre's case. He was acquitted. But, again, Platania sort of soft-pedaled this. He it really seemed like he was going out of his way to make it clear that he didn't think Corey did anything wrong, but that's not how prosecutorial discretion works. You don't get to prosecute the case and act like you didn't want to. If you didn't want to, you didn't have to. He had full discretion to not prosecute this. Um, mm-hmm. So he doesn't get any points for that. Yeah. From us, yeah. anyway. It's really, it is interesting when I we think about the sort of reverse case of, you know, the police officers who are constantly brought up and and not even uh you know indicted for violence um and how we see instead people you know in these particular cases and then so you mentioned the the one particular white supremacist being uh pleading guilty but have there been other trials of the people who were there who were uh part of the rally and were assaulting people there have been there have been a number of cases and so i'm uh, not currently conventionally employed, so I do have quite a bit of spare time, and I've attended um, quite a few trials lately. Mm-hmm. Um, three of the men who participated in the assault on DeAndre Harris have been identified and prosecuted. Uh, they're still searching for a couple of them. I don't know how hard they're searching. Um, the ones they did find were either turned in by their friends or identified by people like Sean King, which are police mm-hmm. have conveniently not mentioned when they're put on the stand in these cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Jacob Goodwin, Alex Ramos, and uh, Daniel Borden have all been convicted. Uh, Ramos and Goodwin went to trial and were not successful. Uh, and after those two trials, uh, Borden pleaded guilty. I guess he saw the writing on the wall after his mm-hmm. uh, after his uh, mm-hmm. co-assailants were found guilty of felony malicious wounding. So they could face um, shit, up, to, up to 20. So in Virginia, juries make sentencing recommendations. So at mm-hmm. the end of these trials, um, so for Ramos and Goodwin, those were jury trials. The jury made a recommendation for both of them, but ultimately the judge will um, hand down the sentence in August for Ramos and Goodwin and in October for Borden. Um, so they could, those three men could face up to 20 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, for Goodwin, the jury recommended 10, and for Ramos, they recommended 6. Um, yeah. And interesting. It's, it's interesting to see the difference there, you know, different juries, different trials, but, you know, they did essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think maybe for Goodwin, again, maybe just a different jury, but for Goodwin, um, his attorney, Elmer Woodard, went with um, a pretty aggressive self-defense argument that I that did not sit well with the jury. It's really hard to convince uh-huh. people that you are defending yourself when you are beating someone who's lying on the ground. Yeah, um, yeah. They didn't take kindly to that. So, right. So you you said at the top, right, that they chose Charlottesville for a reason. And part of that is this, you know, history that they wanted to associate with Thomas Jefferson. Um, but also you know, presumably this was a, a location that they thought they would draw a lot of people from all these different organizations. Uh, and so after August 11th, have they continued to try to rally in the area? Have you um, 
seen much of them since? Well, you know, our our local boy hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, Jason Jasper yeah. still right. lives here. We see him in court quite a bit. He fancies himself a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think he's been shut out by a lot of these groups. I think people are hesitant to organize with him. You know, he was never a great organizer of men. I think yeah. some of, some of the bigger boys saw what he was doing here and and used him as a tool. He was mm-hmm. never, you know, he's, yeah, he was a tool of convenience for them. Mm-hmm. And they're not all that interested in his uh, travail sense. No, he's poisoned now, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah. he remains unapologetic about what happened. Uh huh. Yeah. And um, you mentioned before when we were talking that um, you know these these are people who are now known to be pretty unapologetic white supremacists, and yet they're still finding ways to get money and support. Yes, that is mind blowing. You know, there's been a lot of deplatforming, and I think that is a really successful strategy. I think that's mm-hmm. something we need to continue to hammer away on. Um, but there is there was a Think Progress article that I'll send you the link to if you can include it um, about a law firm in California that is processing donations for both Jason Kessler and uh, Chris Cantwell, uh, who your listeners may know better as the crying Nazis from that white documentary. Um, and they've been quietly processing payments for, at least for Cantwell, for months. Um, he mentions it on his podcast three times a week. Mm-hmm. And these are just donations from random people who are fans of his podcast and fans of him, presumably, organizing right. like his rallies. And they take a lot of their donations in cryptocurrency, so I don't even know how mm-hmm. discoverable a lot of this would be. But obviously anything that's not in cryptocurrency is going to be subject to discovery in a variety of both criminal and civil litigations that are happening now. Um, God, Kessler's involved in more lawsuits than I have fingers. I, I truly cannot keep track of it. Yeah, so when I spoke to folks last summer, um, before all of this was going off, you know, there was um, active Black Lives Matter organizing in Charlottesville. Um, There was action around the police, um, looking for a police review board and looking to change, um, you know, change the culture broadly there. So tell us what's been going on sort of on the, uh, the proactive front when you're not when you're not sitting in a courtroom watching horrible things happen? So we are moving towards the successful establishment of a police civilian review board. Um, it's not going 100% according to plan, because things never do. Um, but at our last city council meeting, they announced the the members of the first board. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, successfully agitating for this meant that we got to make some changes. So normally boards and commissions in the city, um, people apply and they're appointed by council, but there's no discussion. There's no sort of public involvement in the process. It just happens behind closed doors and they make the announcement at a meeting. Um, in this case, we got to have a public forum. So there was, um, you know, we had a, a public forum with all of the candidates for the CRB, these, you know, people who put in their applications, people who live in the city, and we got to watch them answer questions. And that was that was a big step. Um, and they had people fill out a survey for after you know for the forum for who we'd like to see on the board, and then they did not use the results of that survey to make their selections. Obviously, mm-hmm. they were they had no obligation to do so. They made that very clear. This is on an election. 
not a democratic process. They were just surveying us. But the right. person with the most votes, the person that most people wanted to see on that board was Jeff Bogle, a local civil rights attorney um, who's been very vocal throughout this process. He's very knowledgeable about this process, and his voice would be critical in the you know this this first round of the board this, this first group of people on this board are going to write the bylaws including right. the civil rights attorney who was one of the loudest voices in in calling for this board seems like an oversight and it it was intentional and it sent a message it said that you know city council does not want this board to have teeth they don't want these bylaws to be written by someone who knows what they're doing uh, and this is not the first time the city has targeted Jeff. Um, another link that I'll send you uh, to include is uh, to an Intercept article written last year about Jeff's arrest. Uh, he ran for Commonwealth attorney last year, and two weeks before the election, he was hauled out of his home in the middle of the night by the police on a simple assault charge um, that he was later acquitted of. And that is not standard procedure. You don't go to an old man's home in the middle of the night and drag him out of bed and take him to jail. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot of animosity toward Jeff because he knows what he's doing. Um, so there's, you know, we're making progress on the CRB. We're glad that it's moving forward. We're glad that the city has been at least somewhat receptive on the surface to the idea of having this. Mm -hmm. But in refusing to appoint two of the top three vote-getters, the other one being Rosia Parker, uh, a local Black Lives Matter activist, that sends a message that, you know, we, we told you who we wanted and you mm -hmm. explicitly did not select them because you don't want their voices represented in that room. And that means something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And these, these review boards are sort of notorious for not, not having that much power in any case. So it is interesting right. to see, you know, that even for something that is most of them can only make recommendations in any case. Right. And so excluding Jeff is it sends a message on that front because he's been very vocal in, in making sure these bylaws are written in such a way that the CRB would have subpoena and investigative powers. And he knows enough to try and get that done. And excluding him means that probably that won't happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to circle back to Corey Long because I know I wanted to ask sort of what are next steps in his case in particular, but also um, I know that there were protests after the verdict and um, that people were arrested during those protests. So um, I guess that's two questions. But um, yeah. <laughs> so first, let's talk about the protest and, and what happened afterwards and then uh, talk about Corey's case and, and what comes next for him. So on Friday, um, after so Corey was convicted and the judge sentenced him to 360 days active confinement with 340 suspended. So that's a 20-day sentence that he would actually have to serve. And typically around here, you serve half of a misdemeanor sentence, so he'd serve 10 days. And uh, mm -hmm. the option of serving it on weekends, so he could serve five consecutive weekends. Um, but again, the yeah. prosecutor, the prosecutor requested during sentencing that there be no active incarceration. And uh -huh. the judge chose to sentence him to that anyway. So Typically, if both the prosecutor and the defense agree on what the sentence should be, the judge just goes with that. He's yes. choosing to send a message here. And we've heard a lot of that sort of both sides narrative from, from both of our um, 
both of the judges we hear from mostly, our general district court judge, Judge Downer, and our circuit court judge, Judge Moore, they, you know, they both do a little bit of moralizing and sermonizing during sentencing. And he, you know, the bad behavior on both sides and, oh, go back to my notes. I, like I said, I, I take a lot of detailed verbatim notes. And it's the same speech every time. I have it written down maybe 20 times across six notebooks. Um, you know, the whole day was very chaotic, very unfortunate. It cost the city its reputation. We went from a world-class oh, yeah. city to the city where this happened. This behavior is very serious. Uh, we have limited resources for keeping people incarcerated, and yet he still chose to sentence Corey to active incarceration. Um, and the fact that he chose that moment to say that what really was damaged here was our city's reputation. You know, not that not that this young not man's human. life was in danger. Not that not that someone died. Three people died. Um, you know, at least people in the upper 30s were treated in hospitals. Uh, you know. But this city's reputation was damaged, and it's important to send a message. So this this young man who defended himself against a known imperial wizard in the Ku Klux Klan was sentenced to serve jail time and 100 hours of community service and two years of good behavior and up to one year of active supervision by offender aid and restoration. 100 hours of community. He already served this community. He served this community by protecting himself and protecting us on August 12th. Um, and so Friday night... Uh, we gathered in Justice Park. Uh, that's the park with the Jackson statue by the Albemarle Courthouse. Mm-hmm. And we marched down the downtown mall, um, chanting and just, you know, it's it's surreal living in this town because there is such a, a disconnect. There are so many people for whom this is so real and so present. And this is our, this is our, our whole lives now. This, you know, it's, and then there are people who, you know, we're outside the courthouse chanting and holding space. They they come up and they say, what's this about? What's happening? You know, people, so we were marching down the downtown mall on a Friday night, and there's like a wedding after party at one of the fancier bars, and there's like a woman in a wedding dress drinking champagne, and 40 of us marching down the mall chanting for Corey. Um, and as we came back around on the other side of the mall on East Market Street uh, by Emancipation Park, the the place where the disorderly conduct allegedly occurred, we right. took the street. We were marching in the street. And I've heard from, from activists around town that the police used to let, let us do that. Yeah. They used to let us take the streets because it was easier to just let us quickly move through the street like we were going to do and, and everyone could move on with their lives than it would be to arrest eight people like they did on Friday. Um, all eight people were served... Uh, they're given summonses for traffic violations. So they're not criminal charges. And it is pretty unusual to take people to jail for a traffic violation. These are not criminal charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eight people were taken to jail, one of whom was Star, one of the people more seriously injured on August 12th. She is still using a wheelchair. She recently had an, another surgery on the leg. The James Alex Fields broke with his car. Um, yeah. These are people who are still very much living with what happened last August, and they, they couldn't figure out what to do with her in her wheelchair. You know, they had already hauled off seven people to take it up to jail, and she's just still in the street with her wheelchair telling them, you know, you, you, know, you, you can arrest me. You can issue me more summons, but I'm not, I'm not moving. I'm not yeah. moving. Um, I think it took more than an hour, and they finally sent 
an ambulance from our all-volunteer EMS uh, Charlottesville Almoral Rescue Squad. So these are volunteers. These people did not have to do this. They do not work for the police. They came in that ambulance and they loaded that woman. They loaded a competent, conscious person who did not need medical care and was not being taken to the hospital into that ambulance, which is, to me, a, a clear violation of of medical ethics. It's, I mean, it's appalling. And yeah. within 48 hours, the cars of Charlottesville Mall Rescue Squad had updated their official policy that they will no longer transport patients to jail. So yeah. it it makes a difference. What they did was wrong, but there was community outrage, and they recognized that what they did was wrong, and they changed their policy. So that's, you know, that's something. But, you know, so we all went to the jail Friday night to wait for our wait for our people to get out because that's what you do. Um, and when I arrived at the jail, um, an officer approached my car while I was parking and told me that um, that I should maybe try and talk to talk to my people, as, as though the whole crowd outside the jail was. And I, I do know them; those are my friends. But that was an odd <laughs> assumption on her part you know, that I should that I should talk to them and maybe convince them to move away from the door because um, they couldn't let the attorneys in because because people were too close to the door. And I said, well, it's my understanding that it's their constitutional right to representation. I don't. I don't understand what the problem is. And she said, yeah, I, I know, but maybe, maybe you could talk to them. <laughs> and so they had they had locked the doors to the magistrate's office so that no one could get in. And they weren't letting attorneys in. They weren't letting Jeff Fogel in to see his clients. And at no point did any attorney actually gain access to the building to see their clients, which is truly horrifying. So these people were arrested and taken to jail for a traffic violation and denied access to representation. Yeah. It's it's horrifying. And everyone was out within a couple of hours. No one was seriously injured. But the way they put their hands on people for these arrests I don't I don't think I will ever get used to seeing a cop kneel on someone I care about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, um, is there going to be an appeal for for Corey Long or that? I don't know. I think his um, I think his counsel is still mulling that over. So in Virginia, you, you have you have the right to appeal to the circuit court. Um, you know, you have your your misdemeanor bench trial in general district court, and you can appeal to the circuit court. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is. Is that circuit court judge, you know, they start fresh. You get a whole new trial. That judge could decide, yeah, Judge Donner was right. We're going to stick with this. You're going to serve the 20 days. Or he could say, no, you're acquitted. You're free to go. Or he could say, I think you should serve the full year. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a toss-up. You know, you really you have to you have to know your judge. You have to you yeah. have to weigh that risk. And I don't I. Personally, don't know if they have decided what they'll do. I know, I, think, I believe they have ten days to decide, and that mm-hmm. trial was five days ago. So they've got a few days to mull it over. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what I would do in his position because Judge Moore is <coughs> fairly conservative. He's the judge that issued the decision that we had to remove the tarps from the statues. Um, mm-hmm. If people aren't familiar, we have um, 
you know, our two Confederate statues in town that are sort of the lightning rod for all of this are Lee and Jackson statues. Um, our city council voted to shroud them in black tarps mm-hmm. after the events of last August. And in February, our circuit court judge, Judge Moore, um, ruled that shrouding those statues was causing irreparable harm to people who wanted to see them. And they had to be removed. <laughs> Irreparable harm. Okay. I, anyway. <laughs> um, all right. So what are. So I don't, I don't know that I would want yeah. him to hear my appeal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so what are sort of next steps going forward? What are people um, organizing around this summer? Um, are there any things that, you know, people from outside of Charlottesville can support? There um some local folks have written a call to action that, again, I'll send you that link. We can include that. Um, you know, we, there's still a lot of unknowns here. The city is really sleeping on being proactive here. They have okay. not, um, they're not moving forward as quickly as I would as quickly as I would in their position in um, the lawsuit, Jason Kessler is suing the city for a permit for that weekend. Um, uh-huh. And the city, the city is not talking about it. The city's made no comment about this to my knowledge. Um, but from what Jason says, he expects a decision in that case in late July, which again is so close to the anniversary. This is what happened last year is they were litigating it down to the wire and no one was ready. So yeah. people don't know if Jason's going to get permits for Charlottesville for August. I truly, I, I don't know what will happen with that. Um, he's saying he's trying to get backup permits for Lafayette Park in Washington, D.C., which is ludicrous to me that they would give him a permit for directly outside the White House. I don't I don't imagine well, that happening. Um, I don't imagine that they're a danger to this White House, but. Right. I, mean, I, I wouldn't want all of the angry anarchists that close to the White House if I were them. Yeah. But, um. So, you know, he's got backup locations in D.C., so it could be that he holds two ballots. It could be that he holds one here or there or none. Um, I don't think he's got that many friends left, but, again, there's, there are a lot of question marks here. Um, mm-hmm. But what this community is asking is that people be ready to stand with us, whatever does end up happening. We can't tell you what that's going to be yet because we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever does happen, we hope people will stand with us again. Oh, back to um, the platforming scene. Is Ineker Law uh-huh. taking oh, yeah. donations for those guys? Um, yeah. Kessler, Kessler has a website for UTR 2.0, um, and it is hosted by Cloudflare, and they should maybe stop doing that. Um, so if uh-huh. folks wanted to contact them and let them know that they don't approve, um, it's being supported by Cloudflare, orangewebsite.com, and internet.bs. Uh, and I can send you some more information about that. But if folks wanted to contact Cloudflare and let them know that um, maybe don't let a Nazi organize for a Nazi rally on their web space, that would be great. Yeah. Excellent. Wonderful. And, um, we're, and we're still calling for the city to, um, to you know, expunge Corey's record to and to drop the charges against Donald Blakeney. Donald Blakeney is another black activist who is um, still facing charges from August 12th. His trial is at the end of August, um, and he, I believe he is facing felony charges, which is ridiculous. He's, he's an older man. Uh, he's defending himself. 
uh, they're, you know, hurling racial epithets at him and he felt threatened and, and he struck a Nazi. I don't, I don't think he should be held accountable on felony charges for striking a Nazi, um, in self-defense. So we're, we're calling for the city to, to free Corey Long, to drop the charges against Donald Blakeney and, um, for Joe Platania to step down. I don't think he gets to play it both ways. He doesn't get to press charges against activists and then wring his hands and act like he's sorry about it. Yeah. So. And Robert Robert Tracy, the um, Commonwealth Attorney for the County of Albemarle. So, you know, Charlottesville is very small, it's 10 square miles, and we're fully encircled by Albemarle County. So UVA grounds, the University of Virginia grounds, are technically in the county. So the events of August 11th took place in the county. Um, and Robert Tracy, the prosecutor in the county, has dropped so many balls, it's incredible. The man has never been first chair in a trial until he was elected prosecutor. So it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of trial experience, and he is not doing a great job. Uh, he let he let Kessler walk on those perjury charges because he made a mistake that I mean, a first semester law student wouldn't make that mistake. He failed to establish venue in a in a case where the crime occurred in a city office, in the magistrate's office, and he failed to establish venue. Uh, so both of both of our local prosecutors need to maybe step down and let someone a little bit better step up. One more, one more court date. I yeah, yeah, for sure. To mention is yeah. June 29th. Jason Kessler is suing our friend Donna, uh, a local activist, for hurting his feelings. Uh, what? It's an old, it's an old anti-dueling statute that's still on the books in Virginia about like words that incite violence. You know that um, if you look you and you offend someone's honor and you make them duel you. Um, outside of DeAndre Harris's trial, actually, in March. Um, the courtroom filled up so Jason couldn't get in, so he was stuck outside with the crowd that was supporting DeAndre. And a local activist was, you know, giving him a piece of her mind. I believe um, what was enshrined in the uh, in his complaint was that she called him a racist and a crybaby. And I guess that hurt his feelings real bad, so he's suing her for $500, which is such a small amount of, like, he's wasting so much time on such a small amount of money um, because he got his feelings hurt. And so that will be in general district court on June 29th. And he is pro se on that. He is representing himself. I guess uh, old Elmer Woodard is a little too busy for things like that. Yeah, it'll be a real treat if anybody can make it out for that to support Donald. Excellent. And so how can people keep up with you? How can people keep up with what's going on in Charlottesville? And, you know, again, from people who are from outside who either can't come to visit or would like to be supportive, um, how can they do that? Uh, The only fund that I know of that has actually dispersed money to survivors and to people, to activists in this community for bail funds, for legal defense, for medical bills, emergency housing needs, the only fund that is actually dispersing those monies is the Charlottesville Resilience Fund. And I'll send you a link to that and a flyer for it. Um, and that's at Seville Fund on Twitter. You can follow them there. Um, they are a 501c4. Uh, they're run by activists in this community. It's all volunteer, horizontal decision-making. Um, they don't ask for a, a lot of documentation. There's not, you know, infinite hoops to jump through. Um, yeah. They're actually helping people here in this community. And that, that is a great place to send your money if you have money to send. Um, there's a local media collective that's doing incredible work, uh, Solidarity. Mm-hmm. You can follow them on Twitter at, at Solid Seville. 
so SOL work covering stuff around town. Um, you can follow me, obviously, if you wanted to. Um, like I said, I'm not conventionally employed, so I do have a lot of spare time to go to trials and city council meetings and, and things like that. And I'm at Socialist Dog Mom. You know, you, you choose something as a joke and it sticks and it's your brand now. Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayabois and support from the Nation Institute. You can find more information at NecessaryTrouble.org. Thanks for listening.